Hello and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie podcast. I'm your host, Tristan L. Bass, and I'm here with our original Broadway recording cast, Kendra Van Cleave and Sarah Lorraine. And we are doing a little reboot here. We've been away for a while. We're not going to make any excuses for that. We're just back, and you got to love us for that. So we're going to reintroduce ourselves, because you've probably forgotten our wonderful voices and faces. So, a little bit about each of us. Um, hi, I'm Kendra, and I am both a historical costumer um, and uh, academic costume researcher. Um, I've been blogging about and um, making historical costumes for more than 10 years, maybe going on 15 years. My particular emphasis is in the 18th century. Um, and I just recently published a book that's both a history and how-to from a sort of modern uh, recreation perspective on 18th century hairstyles. And I am Sarah Lorraine. I am a academic um, and a costumer, and I've been online with website a website in various formats since the mid '90s, uh, charting my costuming progress. I started out very focused on the 16th century. I've branched out into the 18th century, and pretty much anything in between those two points, I'm super excited about. But I'm all over the map with what whatever's interesting at the moment. So I haven't yet published anything. Um, I'm working on my thesis, my master's thesis in art history. So that's my main thing that I need to publish at the moment. <laughs> awesome. And I'm Tristan, and um, I've been dressing up in funny clothes for a very long time. Um, I'm a writer and editor and researcher for, by trade, so I apply those dubious skills to uh, costume, to anything that gets in my, in my way. So... Um, we'll see how well that turns out. All right, so today we are looking at Outlander, a brand new series that's on Stars right now. Uh, we watched the first two episodes. There are many, many more in production, and in fact, I think it's on tonight. So um, we're going to start off with a little introduction, a little background about um, the TV show, uh, about the books that it's based on, and then we'll jump into our opinions and interests uh, about it itself. Okay, so hi, my name is Kendra and I'm an Outlander geek. Uh, so I started reading the books back when I was in college and that would have been in the early to mid 90s. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when they first started being published, but about that time. Um, and they're written by a woman named Diana Gabaldon. I think I'm saying her last name correctly, but I'm not positive. Um, and they are a series of historical fiction with time travel. And I should stop and make the... Um, the uh, warning that there's we're not going to worry about spoilers, uh, mostly in terms of the TV show. So I'll try not to give away anything too yeah, much any, about the books. Anything that's based on a book is, yeah. is no spoilers. It's fair game. Fair game. It's out yeah. there. <laughs> so the basic premise is that uh, a woman named Claire, an English woman, um, in just after World War II, she was an army nurse. She's married uh, to a historian, and they go to Scotland, and she ends up time-traveling through some standing stones back to 1743 Scotland, where she gets stuck, and life starts to happen, and she uh, meets a hunk of hunk of burning love, burning Scottish love, and um, it gets much more complicated from that. She gets all enmeshed in the Jacobite revel or rebellion, rebellion, not revolution, and um, lots of other stuff like that. Um, the books, in my opinion, are fabulous, especially the first couple, if you like historical fiction. And it's fun because you've got this sort of modern-y heroine and her sort of take on things. Um, 
sort of interjecting with the history. Um, they seem very well researched. Um, and again, I mean, I would say well written, entertaining story, etc. The books have kept going on and on and on. It, it's a little bit like, I don't know, Game of Thrones or something like that with more and more and more books. And I will say I don't love the later books as much as the first couple ones, but you know, whatever. So um, what I know of the adaptation um, is that uh, Ronald D. Moore, who is the creator of the recent reboot of Battlestar Galactica and probably a lot of other things that I don't know, he is married to a woman named Terry Dresbach and she is a huge fan of the books. And this has been, uh, adapting Outlander has been on her wish list for years. So she at some point uh, got her husband, Ronald, um, Ron, involved, got him to read the books and he really liked them. And I know that People have talked about adapting these for a number of years into a, adapting them into a movie, and that never flew because, for, you know, whatever reasons, but one of which is they're very convoluted, and so trying to fit it all into a movie would be tough. So somehow the stars aligned, and they managed to get a, uh, a movie off the ground, and so Ronald is the writer and producer, and maybe, we're not sure, he might have directed some of the episodes, we're not sure, and then Terry is the costume designer. So that's kind of what I know backstory. I might throw out some other random things if I think of them. Anything else to add? Yeah. Um, I was also going to say, I bet it has a lot to do with kind of the timeliness of it with the you know Scottish independence that's come up for voting. Yes. I wonder if that's part of the reason mm-hmm. why this got picked up so quickly because, you know, it's, it's been world. around for about 20 years and why haven't they done it sooner? Well, it's probably, you know, oh, hey, yes. Scotland independence, Braveheart, you know, Braveheart's been done. Yes. So we got to find something new to kind of be like, woo, freedom. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. I could be talking out of it my ass. could be ass. a stretch, but... I am probably yeah. talking out of my probably. ass. <laughs> this is Sarah. I talk out of my ass a lot. <laughs> but I wanted to say a little bit about Terry Dresbach and uh, the work that she's done beforehand. Um, she's probably best known, just looking at her IMDb page right now, she was best known for Prozac Nation. She did Prozac Nation in 2001. Mm-hmm. That was with uh, Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. Yeah. yeah. And then also The Bachelor, um, which I actually I really like that movie a lot. <laughs> Not the TV show, clearly. <laughs> no, 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 no. The uh, Chris O'Donnell. Chris oh. O'Donnell, The Bachelor, and, okay. and the no, girly no, girl. Oh, it was Renee Zellweger was in it. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. a big rom-com from like 1999. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. these are all modern. Yeah, the modern stuff. I mean, she did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She did some episodes from Buffy. Yeah. She's done um, a show called Carnival that mm. I don't know a lot about. It was on HBO. Yeah, it looks like it's yeah. a good costume flick. I mean, that might be something that we're worth covering. Yeah. Um, I've heard this. a lot of gothy steampunk people yeah. who love it, but yeah, yeah I've never exactly. seen it. That's why I've heard so, it. So that's basically her oeuvre all right. at this moment in time. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, being a fan of the books, this is probably sure. like the once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to get to like do something you're super geeked about, which sure. is admirable. All right. But not a big resume of historical costume. No. 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 Stuff. But a big, res- a big resume, a resume of contemporary. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Mm-hmm. All right. So, well, let's just dive into what we thought about, if we watched the first two episodes again, those are, that's all that's available right now. Um, let's jump into what we thought about the, both the, the series so far. Um, given that Kendra has, is a big fan of the, of the book, Sarah and I haven't read it before, don't know, um, uh, both uh, about the, the series and the costumes and how they fit together. Mm-hmm. Who oh. wants to go? 
I love it so far, but then I'm a fan of the books, and so I know what's coming. And I will say, I mean, it's definitely a slow build that's making me happy because it's taking its time and getting into kind of the different nuances. And and again, I know what's coming. I know what some of the payoffs are going to be. So I'm really happy, and I feel like they're being really true to the books, which is my sort of source material when it comes to this. So that makes me happy. And I will say, in direct contrast, I found a little snoozy. Probably because the, the the series that I've been watching more recently have been things like Game of Thrones, where it's shagging I, all the time. <laughs> it's violence and, and sex and, and and intricate plots. They're super intricate, but they're also bam, 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 fast, fast paced, which I thought was an improvement over the book because I kind of hated the books in Game of Thrones. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so this was a little. Okay, get on with it. And, and admittedly, we there were points where we were talking over the dialogue because it was just kind of like, really, blah blah blah. Well, so I, I, you know, I mean, maybe if I had more investment in the book, it might have been more interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Tristan. I think um, you know, not having read the books at all, and not really even having known that they existed until like last week, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it, and I was, I admit, I was getting involved in the story. But I was also kind of sitting back, and there were moments of just, like, eye-rolling, and, and... But it's, you know, that's that's just me when it comes to, like, the hokey aspect of the, yeah, the, the, the scripting, where... The time travel part, the, not like, even leading, the time, you leading know, up to that, like, how they actually did it. No, see, actually, the time travel part was not the issue that I had with it. It was just, there was a, some things that seemed a little bit forced, and it was probably yeah. trying to... Like, the info dumping. Like, yes, there was all yeah, of these sudden, you know, flashback scenes of, of info dumps for purposes of, you know, plot development, which in the book, you know, is easier to kind of work in word-wise than it is to work in And I get that. That is hard to do when you're adapting a book to to TV or movies. But some places, some vehicles have done that much more elegantly, and I think this was a little, it was a little clunky. It was a little ham-handed, like, bum ba dum Back flashback. Mm-hmm. Well, here's your whole life history, you know. So, but, and of course, it's been so long since I've read the first book, which I mean, I've read multiple times, but it's been a long time. Anyway, I can't remember exactly how they're handled, but you know, in the book, I can imagine it's more of a conversation, which right. may feel more natural than actually seeing it. Yeah. It did does feel too soon to be just sort of tonk. Here's a big chunk of information. Um, in the way, in the way that it's a flashback, I'm saying it would have yeah. worked better if he just talked. If it just had just been and, a conversation, and, but I also think that it's part of the character of Jamie, who's the one who's giving these info dumps. Who, and I think that they're trying to show you, he's a very hard on his sleeve, doesn't doesn't dissemble. He just he's a straight shooter. And oh, you want to know why my back is totally scarred? Well, here's what happened. Right. You know. Well, and. I'm going to go, I'm going to do it again. Uh, to compare to Game of Thrones, there are places when um, there's been backstory. Um, there's a great, a couple of great scenes with Tyrion, or, Ty, uh, t- sorry, Tywin. Tyrion? No, it would no with Tyrion. Anyway, um, the imp, uh, Peter <laughs> Dinklage, where he's giving backstory about himself. And he's usually a very, you know, witty, sly kind of character. And he's giving these super introspective, deep backstory things. Um, that are played out in conversation where it's like, whoa, 
Oh my, it's, there's no flashbacks, but it's, it's it's purely in conversation, and it melds into the scene so beautifully, because the writing is so amazing in that and series. I, I also think, too, that that's, you know, that's an opportunity for the actor to really show their craft. Exactly. And the, and the emotion. That yeah. they, can, they can convey so much just through the telling of a story, yeah. rather than a, you know, quick... Yeah. I almost think it would have worked better if it had been mostly been dialogue, yeah. and then maybe... You know, later on in the episode or a couple episodes down the line, if it was like, this is a pivotal one we really want to show people, right. you could have come back around to that conversation. He could have told more and then done the flashback yeah. and it would have felt less clunky. Yeah. I, and again, I think that too would, would give me more, you know, hooks into the character and make me care about more, more about this guy. He's a hunk. Yeah. But make me love him too <laughs> for him, for his mind, not just for his body. See, Tristan really, really wants to love Jamie. She's I, Tristan I, likes a good man in a kilt. I married uh-huh. a man who wears a kilt. Uh-huh. So, you well, know. let's talk about let's Tristan. Talk about. talk about your history with so, the kilt. So I, I was, I wanted to like this, and I'm not saying I don't like this. I'm just saying I have a few little issues because when I heard about this project, I thought, ooh, it's sudden. It's a romance, sort of historical romance in Scotland. Ooh, well, that's that punches my buttons um, because yeah, um, I've done Renfair Scottish nobility since I was a wee lassie. Uh, well, not that wee, but you know, I'm old, so it's wee. Um, and <laughs> I do love the men in the kilts and there are plenty of them here and they're, they're, well, admittedly the, the research on, on the kilts is really weak. Um, in general, it's like just not, what's not, out not for there. this movie, but just that what exists is pretty lame. Uh, up until the 19th century, when it was all like, woohoo, Scottish, everybody loves the Scots. Right, because um, before it was just this backwater of rebels. Yeah, and you, you just know? hated them, and nobody was going to actually, yeah. you know, investigate what they really wore. Um, so, what they showed here, I think, was pretty, pretty good. Um, they're definitely, they, uh, one nice thing that we all commented on was that um, Jamie, when he gets on the horse with Claire, you know, he's bringing, he's trying, with his one hand, because his one arm's wounded, he's trying to bring the part of the kilt up, uh, part of the plaid up over both of them to wrap it around, which is really what the kilt, what the kilt, what the tartan started as. It was a blanket. It was a blanket wrapped around your shoulders. It was just a nice big wool wrap. And so he was really doing that, and you could see they had a lot of fabric in there, and they were they were using them as they would have been used. They were a, a cape, a cloak, an umbrella, a sleeping bag, <laughs> sleeping bag. Because I remember specifically yeah. in the book they use them to sleep. Yeah, in exactly. When they're out on the road, and they had all the fabric in there. I'm sure it was probably sewn down because for a, for a movie production, you don't want to be pleating it up into your belt every day like would have been done because that's a pain in the ass. I've done that. Um, and it's, Demon was doing it before a day at fair. It's a pain in the ass. But they're definitely using historical kilts. They're not yeah. doing that modern thing of, of using the modern Yeah, there's, there's no modern plaid. There's they're a lot of fabric. There's it's a ton of fabric. Muted, it's know. all in kind of these muted, mushy colors that are just kind of yeah. not saying, oh, it's Campbell plaid. It's, you know, Mc, McKinsey plaid. Because when did that really get... 19th century. 19th century. And it was a very retrospective. It was. It's um, all about back, romanticized back in the day. Sir Walter the Scott's writings yeah. and Queen Victoria going up to Balmoral. It was mm-hmm. all about that. That's where the whole, you know, family plaid came in and 
you know, categorizing the plaids and all that. That's I, just, I do recall, yeah. I mean, it's been many, many years since I've done a lot of research on, on Scottish clothing and particularly in the kilts. Um, I have to say, I have a, I have a history with the kilt as well. <laughs> Uh, you yes. scratch a fair person uh, a little bit, yeah, you're going to exactly. find some Scots So 20 years ago, there. 20 years ago when I was young and dumb, I was dating a guy who, he and a bunch of friends um, were way, way into the whole Scottish, you know, Scottish and Irish, and generically called themselves Celtic, uh, reenact. You you know, At least they didn't call themselves Celtic. No, oh God, no. Oh, please, that's basketball that's players. Basketball. I know, but I still hear people saying that. Uh, but, uh, but I remember when I was, this was, yeah, this was 20 years ago, uh, the, the boyfriend in question was wanting to be able to justify wearing a kilt in the SCA. And I Which was... Which goes up to 1600. Yeah, it goes up to 1600, but of course, he, in his mind and his desire was, of course, you know, that it was going to be Middle Ages, you know, medieval. So, can you figure it out, Sarah? Can you do the research? And of course, I went, sure, I'll do the research. And I did the research and discovered, of course, that, you know, the kilt in its, in its earliest forms <laughs> dates no earlier than like the late 16th, I mean, we're talking like the latest part of the 16th century, 1599. Yeah. You know? December 31st. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, at 1159. Yeah, totally. And, but you know, the, the, again, it was, it was the, the idea that these were, these were just heathens that were up in the Highlands and yeah. even, even the Scots, you know, yeah. the Lowland Scots thought that they were all, yeah. you know. I mean, they had plaid fabrics. Yeah. They were well, plaid leaving, fabrics that existed back lot, to the Egyptians. Ancient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and let me finish. Yeah, Tristan's like, I don't, I'm just gonna like just interject here. <laughs> so the long story so goes on. Hear people complaining about that right there. Yes, exactly. Plaid <laughs> did exist yes. way, way, way back. But the uh, the idea was that the actual kilt, and especially the kind of kilt that you see represented in Outlander, is definitely an 18th century construction. Mm. And I think that that is completely legit. I think that they got the look right. They did. Everything in terms of the clothing, the upper the upper garments that they were wearing, the jerkins and the shirts, and the and of course the jackets and things that would go over that. I have no qualms about that at all. Um, it fits with the research that I've done, and like I said, the research was many years ago, but it was in line with it. There were no clan specific tartans. Um, that's definitely an, a 19th century thing. Um, oh, this is my clan Mackenzie. This is my clan Stewart. You know that that stuff did not come around until. The 19th century. So, so everything that's being represented in Outlander totally tracks with the research that I did many, many, many years ago. <laughs> research is always happening, though. So feel free to like email us yeah, and let us know if there's new. Yeah, or comment on our uh, frockflix.com, our new website. Leave us a comment if you've got any new like awesome research in the area of kilts. Um, and we will definitely include that on the blog post that's coming up uh, that we'll do after this podcast. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so, yeah, I mean, the men's, you know, certainly the Scottishishness of it um, was apparent. And, and also, one other thing I liked is that not every man was wearing a kilt, which is also pretty, right. pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like de rigueur. It wasn't the uniform of every single man. You had plenty of men wearing trues, wearing breeches, wearing um, different kinds of, of pants that men would wear in the 18th century. Um, it, it was the the kilt itself. It's kind of you know definitely more the they they I could see on the show it was very distinct. It was the kind of uh, it was the band. What was the the 
the band that Mackenzie, the Jamie was with. Um, the, the guys out fighting. The guys out fighting. Yeah, I didn't know if they had a particular name. No. Of, okay. Well, anyway, the guy. It was just those guys, you know, out in the woods. Um, it was there with the the captain, the, the bald guy captain. His, his uncle, Dougal. one of his other uncles, is one of the two. Apparently, I, I you know obviously I haven't read the book, so I don't know all the characters. But <laughs> um, so really, it was primarily them wearing the kilt, which is makes sense. The other place you see a lot of um, wearing the kilts uh, of that era would be the uh, upper class um, showing off. Showing their allegiance, particularly around right before and right after the Jacobite Rebellion, which apparently is you know, this is this is forty this is forty three, so yeah, that's forty seven. So that's in two years. Um, so you know, again, good representation. You had a lot of men wearing um, a, a either well, it's, it seemed to be like a, a plaid sash um, and, mm-hmm. and kind sort of an kind of an erasadish yeah. sort of thing, which is often called the women's uh, plaid yeah. um, debatable and there's a great article that we'll refer to you to later um, so it was again a good use of the plaid it got the Scottishness across without being cheesy um, it, it didn't you know it wasn't egregious it was it was Historically One other, th- a couple other things to talk about in terms of the men's costuming. I know Sarah really liked the 1940s oh, yeah. on Frank. Yeah. The, so Claire's husband, because she's married in the in 1946 when she goes back in time, and she leaves behind her husband Frank, who's very dapper. Yes, and I, I have a soft spot for dapper fellows named Francis. So, <laughs> and he's so, also this one's a history professor. Yeah, he's uh, totally, in a little suit with a fedora. I mean, that's so great. He's, yeah, he's very cute, and I, I was finding it like, you know, of course, uh, of course it's not to, like, spoil anything, but I, the overshadowing is, considering there's so many freaking books in this yeah. series, that Claire doesn't get back to 1946. Not anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah. And, my lips are sealed. And, and poor Frank is probably long, long, long gone. But he, he, he seems a little sexually repressed, so I think... Well, yeah, she was trying to... She had to initiate every single time. Yeah, they're con- they're out, concerned that, that, yes, that she had to do all the initiation. Yeah, yeah but, but he put out there. Well, he, he, he represented... He went down. He was slow. He was slow to to. He's slow to burn, but yeah. he, he he did have a fire. He yeah. got there. Yeah. So so what about I, the? No, no. I was going to say the 1940s costumes. Oh, yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit about the 1940s? You have to really like Briefly. struggle to fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think it's interesting, um, and we'll get more when we get back, sort of, to the 18th century about mm-hmm. modernizing or not. But it's interesting to me how much the 20th century is sacred, mm-hmm. and um, I almost feel like now when I like write a review for my website of any like BBC or whatever that's set any time, you know, post 1900, it's like the costumes are great as expected. So it's interesting to me that. That and I guess it's just it's more recent memory, but that is, I mean I don't want to downplay the work of getting that right, but it seems like that's just that's a given that you're going to get that right, and I think the show definitely does. It's interesting that you go pre 1900 and suddenly all that goes out the window. I did like I will say that one of the things I did like about the 1940s costumes was when Claire travels back in time and she is actually undressed at one point uh, in the second. Second or first? Second episode. Second episode. Um, and they're on the, in the process of dressing her in, in 18th century clothing, so she has to undress from the 20th century stuff that she's wearing. And they show this really great silk little brassiere and, and panty set. Mm-hmm. 
that you know, like the shorts, um, tap uh, pants, tap yeah. pants, exactly, and and which is perfect. And I was like, wow, that's really that was a really nice yeah. touch, you know. But well, even when um, something she, you don't usually see in movies from the 1940s, yeah. or I mean, modern movies set in the 40s, yeah. you don't usually see that. Even when she's in the castle and he's gonna eat her out, um, and then, <laughs> this is in the 20th century. In the 20th yes. century, <laughs> she pulls up her um, skirt and shows her garter, and you see the the whole garter it's 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 a classic it's not fancied up it's just it's good old-fashioned mm-hmm. rubber 1940 rubber and metal 1940s garter there mm-hmm. um and stocking as well yeah. so that's you know good they got the that right but i guess kendra was saying it's like i don't want to downplay that there's probably a ton of work that goes into it but it's it's just interesting to me yeah. that that everybody's like no you can't screw with the 40s <laughs> but um, anyway, so probably because people are still alive from the forties. Yeah, and we just—I think we have that cultural <laughs> yes. memory. We're we have still, so many photos. I mean, that could be too in movies. Have photos and we have movies. extant garments of the wazoo. I mean, yeah, and that are still wearable even. Yeah, so that's it's true. Hard. Yeah. It's really it's hard to fuck it up. But yeah. I was also going to say I loved the peignoir in the uh, one of the scenes in the first episode that Claire is wearing, and she's in the bedroom. This is in her nineteen in the nineteen forties segment, and she's got this gorgeous little silk peignoir that yeah. she's wearing, and I'm like, I want that. It's really nice. <laughs> Fitted at the waist yeah. in a way where it was yeah. sort of gathered it's and then into a, a fitted band yeah. and it's sort of a long V neck, mm-hmm. which is very flattering. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I remember specifically from the book is that Claire is wearing a white dress when she goes back mm-hmm. in time, and they do that in the adaptation, and it works really well mm-hmm. because as she goes back in time, and then various bad things happen to her, she loses her belt, she does whatever, and in the 18th century mind, it looks like she's wearing a shift, and it's just it's interesting because, for example, if she had gone back in time wearing pants. In some ways, that might have made her entry into the 18th century world even harder. It's not to say that they aren't all completely confused by her, but if she was wearing... At least they had something they had a frame of reference for. So I thought that that worked really well in the book and also in the adaptation. And they get to call her a whore. A whore! Wrong show. Again. Yeah, Tristan's um, so, yeah. just on the whole uh, Game of Thrones kick. Uh, so that's a good segue into the women's clothing. So let's let's talk about Claire since she's the lead and um, she gets the most uh, female clothing on screen time. Yeah. So I think, and I think we can kind of start by talking about the getting dressed scene. So yes. in the second episode, she's woken up by Mrs. Fitz, the housekeeper, and is dressed. Um, and I think that it was a really good scene. And I think Sarah started off by talking about this on our our website, and I agree with her that I thought it was neat that they used the act of getting dressed as something, a further thing to sort of help Claire uh, uh, um, get used to the new time, but also the difference of where she was is something that really brought it home. So they show her, you know, stocking, shift, corset. I thought it was interesting that the corset very much looked like the Dorothea stays, which are very early 17th century, right? I actually looked at it and I thought it was more, they did use an 18th century um, pattern. It reminded me a lot of the one and I'm not at all saying that this was what was used, but the one that was included in the uh, simplicity pattern that um, it's got, I noticed that it had the, it's kind of based on the uh, Diderot stays, I think. But I think the one you're talking about has horizontal Yeah, and I thought that's what she But had. I didn't think I didn't, it did. I thought I it had the cutouts. Like I the sort the of bust shape cutouts that you see on the, because I thought I saw the Dorothea stays, which are from, again, very late or very, 16th century or very early it's 17th 1590s, century. It's 1590s. Yeah. 1590s. Yeah. And again, you know, yeah. um, you know, I'm not saying that that's Yeah, I saw that little softness up at the top. Yeah. It's interesting because then it gives you, yeah, it gives you a slightly softer shape up there and less of that sort of 
of rigid thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, the, and then they put her in a big bum role, which um, I thought was interesting. So one of the things we were kind of debating mm-hmm. is, and you know, of course, it'd be great if we had an expert here, but we don't. You know, to what degree were the costumes? I mean, first off, I think it's great. It seems like they really went, tried tried to go really historical. That's not to say, you know, it's 100%. But they really tried. They were. This was no rain, the recent Mary Queen of Scots uh, TV show where it's they're all wearing, you know, modern Tristan's prom dresses. Favorite. Bullshit. <laughs> Quit saying that. that. That is an absolute lie. I've never said it's my favorite. I said it's just something I watched in the background while I was sewing, for yeah, Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah. She secretly has an altar to Jesus. it. Jesus. Anyway, but... Um, I so, didn't go to Scotland because of this little trashy romance. Jeez, we'll get there. <laughs> so it was interesting that the silhouette definitely seemed kind of a little bit 16th, maybe 17th century. And now, obviously, in the highlands of Scotland, this isn't even the lowlands, this is the highlands, you know, it's going to be something of a backwater. And of course, Scotland's going to have its own sort of fashion trends. And we're also not looking at the Duchess of whoever. We're looking at a laird of a castle who's more, you know, middling ranks and that sort of thing. That said, while her silhouette did seem to be, and you could particularly see it in the full-length shots, like when she's walking out on the the castle parapets there, um, where her silhouette really, we all remarked on this, that it looked very 16th century or very early 17th century. All the men's clothes looked very 18th century. Mm-hmm. You know, their jackets and waistcoats were very 18th century. So I, I don't think it's really a, you know, backwater issue or a, you know, mm-hmm. geographical issue or anything. Because, you know, their coats all had the right cut. Although I think and, what's interesting and, is... So why wouldn't the women's, you know? I think the, but I think the one defining thing and the thing that, uh, that we're catching on is the shape of the bum roll. Which is very shaped towards the back, and they tie it right up yeah. around the waist, and that sort of is the classic. Um, or certainly, certainly tying it up around the waist is the classic look that people have been doing for a very long time, and there's sort of new research coming out showing that it may have they may have been shaped differently or worn lower on the hip rather than right up around the waist, where it's really going to thicken you. So, and it could also be, of course, the lead actress is very tall and very tall, elegant, and maybe even a little gawky, yeah. um, and so that may you know alter the shape. But so then they put her in you know stays and then a laced. Different lace jackets, some of, one of which has laced on sleeves, one of which doesn't. The laced on sleeves felt a little bit Renfair just because yeah. they really kind of gapped. Yeah, there was a big, big, big gap where you see the, the, the chemise coming, puffing through, which... At the shoulder. At the shoulders, yeah. which... I don't know. I've, I've never seen that in the 18th century, even on lower class. I feel like I've seen I've things seen... lower class where maybe there may have been... Rem- like, I'm thinking of stays with laced-on sleeves, but I still that's don't... That's the 17th century. That's kind of a 17th century. Yeah. Very, but early. We're talk- We're in the 1740s. I, I get it. So I think I that know. that would it's, still be... I'm not, I'm not too critical about that. I don't know, I'm not being critical. I'm just, no, just no, I know, pointing you know, things out. It, it was yeah. just a little thing that kind of took me yeah. out of... Yeah. Uh, you know, it just kind of like was a little jarring. But I would, again, especially because the men's was so pretty much. But spot I. Would, on. But I would overall say a ninety-five percent in terms of historical accuracy. I don't know if I'm being too more generous than than you guys would. Yeah, but I mean, Under. I think I, I do think one of the things that's interesting, and um, we'll get more into the costume designer's blog. But she mentions a couple of times that there's a lot of pressure on filmmakers these days to modernize costume, and so I was really happy that they were trying to create a real historical look that they weren't 
you know, or even I'm thinking of like Elizabeth the Golden Age or, you know, all these costume movies that have been coming out where it's yieldy timey, but it's crossed with Prada or it's Balenciaga <laughs> yeah. or whatever because... Or it's be- Bollywood. Be- because it. Elizabeth yeah. was the fashion leader of her time and so she would have been wearing Balenciaga and I wanted that to be, you know, relatable right, right. to modern eyes and blah, blah, They weren't doing that. They were literally trying to show you within their filmmaking, you know, world, they were trying, but they were really trying for a real historical look and that made me happy. Uh, I want to say, though, back to the corset, I actually found a, a somewhat visible photo of it. And it, it does have a band across, but it's oh. unboned at the very top. So that's it's not the Dorothea. It's not oh, the Dorothea. Okay. That's what I was noticing. It's, it was the band that was unboned. That was what it was. Okay, interesting. Yeah. It wasn't curved, so, but it was a band. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely more of an 18th century silhouette. Okay. So she, you know, there, there we go. Okay, so, good. Never mind. But going to the, to the <laughs> okay. um, one thing I noticed that, that's a definitely a modernization is that the, the lead characters all had this kind... They all had a distinct look, um, and a dis- they kind of took were a little bit more modern, historical but more modern. So um, Claire uh, never wore a neckerchief or a fichu or anything. She she always had the boobs out. <laughs> she had had them pushed up and out um, because she's the lead character. And um, Jamie's hair. Jamie had the the cute kind of modern but tousled, tousled short, very- a little bit long but yeah. essentially short yeah. hair by. And and I can't even remember in the books, you know, whether or not the character wears a wig or what. Right. My my memory, maybe faint memory, is like he has to when he's at some point there. He end right. up at Versailles, and you but, know, in that kind of. Scenario, but all the other but, guys have the long, kind of shaggy, mm-hmm. messy yeah. look, and he's just always, you know, golden boy. We were also noticing too that there's a in a flashback scene they show you two soldiers who have very I think they're wearing wigs but even if not they have very appropriate 18th century military looks and then you've got the lead baddie Captain Jack Randall who's got long hair but it's just tied back in a ponytail and I thought it was interesting yeah. that because A he should have been wearing a wig and B if he wasn't then he would have styled his hair like he would have had the, the side rolls yeah and, the, and um, where his underlings had the nice little side rolls but yeah, you know, he, he is didn't. the cup yeah. he, he should I mean yeah. he can afford it now I will say I think that's pretty par for the course to have the lead actors and something slightly different and again I think that I'm pretty sure that Terry mentioned on her blog that there's pressure to have yeah that's what I was saying it's the modernization it's it's the we're going to make them shiny and a little more relatable I will say whereas the the extras are all going to be kind of grungy who cares what the extras are wearing and they're going to blend in that tracks too with some of the one of the best costumes in the first two two episodes I think was Mrs. Fitz's Mm -hmm. and in terms of overall historical shape and and look and they you know really they got her good I mean she looked really correct in what I would think she could have stepped out of a Hogarth she really, drawing. I she loved really her outfit. Yeah, really, really could. That's great. Hogarth really being a, a major um, mm-hmm. painter, satirist, uh, drawer uh, in the England in England of from about seventeen twenties to seventeen sixties. Yeah, he had a huge, huge. He was and he was big popular. about drawing the the, did, the lower classes. Yes. He's the one who did the horse progress, yes. the race progress, progress. Race progress. And, and the no, he did too. Oh, he did the right. race progress and the oh, horse progress. And he also did uh, beer lane yeah. versus gin lane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he did a lot so of great stuff classes, of, yeah. of that yeah. milieu. Now, I stole this joke from Jezebel, so full props to the person who's recapping this show on Jezebel, but uh, I first off, I loved the arm warmers, and then the little neck warmer that um, Mrs. Colin McKenzie is wearing, the Laird's wife, but... Dude, so those are so from Etsy. Oh, you know totally. I mean, <laughs> they were super cute, and they probably are historically accurate, but they seemed a little chunky. Yeah, 
you know, you know, just because they're in the backwards of Scotland doesn't mean that they can't, you know, knit with finer wool. I mean, it's Scotland. Smaller needles. They have tons of wool. <laughs> they know what to do with wool. They've known what to do with wool since like BC. Yeah. You know, it's Scotland. But they really need to have an Outlander Etsy shop where there's yeah, little, where they're little knitters. Yeah, yeah. Those aren't those arm warmers? Aren't those Galligaskins? Isn't that what they're called? Oh, I don't know. I that's what they're I, called. But okay. yeah, they're they're really and you know they're documentable to the 16th century. I know that much and. Uh, but yeah, they did have finer, you yeah, know, big, knitting needles at that point in time. But the big chunky yeah. one up around her neck was really, especially sitting up at table when with the big chunky. Mm-hmm. She would wear a nice linen. She's the Laird's wife. She did have nice she linen. Was really cold. <laughs> maybe she has some secret illness that she, makes her maybe she's got cold. deformed bosom yeah. that's true that's well, true he's, he's, he's got deformed legs yeah. she's got deformed bosom so it's quite go. possible they're a great quite couple possible yeah they're a party yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah um so then also you have uh i'm gonna pronounce her name wrong gillis gillis something like oh, the that witchy, the witchy girl? Witch. no oh. the the witch <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah who uh, very much is an important character who develops in very interesting ways in coming episodes, uh, played by, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Lot of Verbeek, something like that. Um, uh, very pretty, um, and I think it's sort of in the first scene we see her out in the garden, she's wearing something very, you know, I don't know, it looks looks right. And then, she's just wrapped then, up in a big shawl. Yeah, she's wrapped up in a big shawl, it. and then they... With then holes, we, it, with giant holes in it, by the well, way. Well, no, the hole was supposed to was be, supposed to was, be it was a neck... Okay, because it was supposed to go over the head, but it was hanging back, so it looked like a huge hole. Well, again, reading the costumer's blog, she mentioned that the actress tends to wear the clothes in interesting ways, and again, I think because (laughs) she's supposed to be the woo-woo character. She's um, very woo-woo. She's woo-woo, yeah. She nails that. Yeah, so (laughs) she she decided to wear that creatively. And then anyway, then there's a scene later, a formal scene where they're in the hall, uh, for like the airing of grievances, it's festive, Scottish, exactly. Scottish style. But they Scottish don't use the pole. Yeah. They use a stick <laughs> or punching. They use a caber. Um, anyway, but then she's wearing this long, uh, she's wearing a shift with what looks like kind of a bodice, but it's cut like a strapless yeah, corset. Yeah, so really, just but wearing it, her. Usually, but I yeah. think that they're, it's I think. Very Renfair. I, I will <laughs> say, I think that they're trying to show you this character's a little different, a little off, a little woo-woo. Got that! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's a witch. Well, and then there's the granddaughter who who Jamie takes the beating for, who is honestly, I mean, she's in a Renfair bodice. Totally. Here. She's in a Renfair bodice with her hair all wild. So, I mean, none of that. None of that. that A lot of. She's young. She's 15, 16. That said, though, a lot of the other extras were great. They had all. There's a lot of good caps and coifs in there. And Uh, fichus. And fichus. Yeah, a lot of Mm -hmm. the feasting. The the first feasting scene where where Claire makes an idiot idiot of herself. (laughs) Gets Uh, drunk. Gets drunk. Ooh, I'm going to get drunk and say stupid things. Um, you, you, that's why it was really noticeable that Claire was not wearing a neckerchief because all the other women, every single other woman in that scene Mm -hmm. was, was tucked up very proper. And and I'm doing this visually. She's she's gesticulating with her I'm gesticulating and showing you how I would tuck up my fichu, which doesn't really carry on a podcast. I could take a photo and post it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Trust me though, but they were all tucked up and, and they had little nice little caps on their heads. So, you know, extras. Looking pretty decent. I want to say that I saw a mention on the customer's blog that mentioned reenactors using reenactors as extras. So go reenactors for your yeah, really cool outfits. One thing I'm going to be really interested to see in future episodes when they get to a point where Claire is able to 
have her own clothes made and, uh, you know, sort of what, what sartorial choices she will make <laughs> when it's sort of not, oh, here I've been given a set of clothes to wear. Right. Um, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um... Uh, no, I think yeah. I'm actually, I've, I talked about Mrs. Fitz. I yeah. liked hers. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, so, I, we- so I just want, before we change topic, so I just want to say as a fan of the books, knowing where the story goes, I'm very happy. I think that, uh, they are really staying close to the books. They're really trying to be, uh, as historical as they can be or want to be or whatever, but they're not making crazy choices, whatever. And knowing where the story goes, I would really recommend it because it's going to get more and more exciting. Um, you know, uh, obviously you can wait and see and, you know, watch it all on Netflix or on DVD when it comes out if you want to wait and see if it gets better. But I have really, really high hopes for it. Well, that's good because, you know, since we didn't, you know, we found the costumes pretty, pretty reasonable. And, you know, obviously Kendra's a huge fan. Nerd! Let's, let's just mention the controversy. Oh. What didn't we like? Because I think what we didn't like was actually not on screen. Mm-hmm. I think we were really, I just want to say clearly, I think we were really, really happy with what we saw on scene. Again, me being happier plot wise because I know where it's going, but in terms of trying to put history on screen, I think we were all really happy with that. And I can totally agree with that. I mean, I thought in terms of 18th century costume as a whole, no, it's not Marie Antoinette. That's not. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. be. I mean, it's mucky and muddy and gross and bleh. Yeah. Yeah. But. I think Absolutely. I think what they were going with with all the wool and there was a nice representation of linen. You know mm-hmm. that they had they had the right the right silhouette, the right materials, the right garments mm-hmm. for Absolutely. that particular scene. I think yeah, the costumer. And, and time. I mean, I think the filmmakers and in particular the costumers get mad props yeah, for doing I, a really I give it really a good solid job. B B plus and maybe an A for the men's costuming. I, I think that was really Tristan's really the well East done. German judge. I, 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 oh, they what? wobbled a little bit on the landing. One, one thing I forgot to say I liked about the men's costuming. There's this great scene when Jamie's doing the horse training stuff. Oh, you like the horse. There, there, who doesn't? <laughs> you guys like the, Anyway. I don't um, get the horse thing. Um, oh, you God. see the back, and he's got a laced-up waistcoat. I think that's that's a yeah. classy touch. Okay, and we do just want to add a, 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 a shout-out to thank you for letting him keep at least some chest hair. Yes. Because the historical full wax job, not not, it's just... Well, it's just maybe it was just the McKinsey clan. They have a recessive they the, gene. Yes, about they're the hairier. Hair. Anyway, yeah. anyway, most men come with at least a little bit of what I call chestal pluffed, and, and I was glad to see it, it because yeah. this is not an era of waxing. Yeah. Okay. So now controversy. So we decide frock flicks is back, and uh, and, yay. and yay, and only maybe a couple of days later, controversy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Stirring the so chair. it started. Because I posted because, a link. Yes, because Kendra okay. found this link from the, the costumer of, of Outlander, um, her blog, saying t- discussing the dressing scene where, where Claire is getting dressed um, for the first time in all the layers, and the, the costumer, uh, Terry Dressback, goes um, over each layer, da 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 and, and it takes 20 minutes to lace a corset, and... Um, she says some other things, and and also the whole thing was the reason she was bringing this up was because they filmed the dressing scene, right. and then they had to film it multiple times, and she was surprised because it was something of a convoluted process to get dressed, at least compared to modern dressing. Anyway, so whatever, and 
Well, and she described all this. What, there was something else she said in the post because there's well, 20 minutes to make to, to lace a corset. Well, but it's what it was thing. was she gets she goes through all of this oh, and oh, then the, she the, added the pieces. She went through the pieces, so she went through. You know, you put on a chemise, no, but no underwear because you didn't have underwear. And people and and as she said, people always ask about what about your your periods or that time of the month. Well, people just let it go. They bled on themselves because it was considered erotic at the time. Um, and I'm trying to say this all with a straight face. And uh, that's, that's how men knew you were fertile. So there were rushes on the floor. Well, so that, that you got to do later. But okay, whatever. So original you, post. You'd walk around with blood dripping down your legs and the men would go, ah, because and, you smelled like blood and they knew you were fertile. And she also noted that it was convenient not having underwear because people just did their business wherever they wanted to. Including in the hall, in the room. You know, they just squatted down on the floor and right. went. And then she described the other pieces of the of the garments, including uh, bum rolls were a wide hips, bum roll, they wore bum rolls because wide hips were a sign of fertility, uh, and etc. And if she had just stuck to describing the costume layers and how they dressed and how the things were on set. And, and the work that she put into that, she, that. That would have been fine and we would have no, there'd been no controversy, no complaints, it was fine. The problem was everybody read these sort of, well, then, you know, these sort of extra added little gems that were put out as being historical fact. And we all said, um, no, I've looked into that. I've done research on that. And that's actually not true. So there was a bit of a brouhaha and various people posting on Facebook and on her blog responding to it and saying, um, actually, that's not the case. They had latrines. They had chamber pots. They did whatever. There were menstrual rags. There were, you know, all these various kinds of things. Um, and then, sadly, I feel like Terry, um, and if you randomly listen to this, Terry, again, we want to say we absolutely loved your work. And sadly, I think that she took it as dis as a negative of her work, as people not appreciating her work or disparaging her work. When again, I don't think anybody was going there. I think we were talking about these historical quote unquote factoids on the blog that were wild generalizations. And then, of course, when people were, you know, repo posted to them saying, actually, here's the research that says X, Y, Z thing. It was, you know, Terry would fire back with, well, I've done my research or everybody has differing opinions about this. And no, actually, there is research that we've done. People that me, Kendra and Tristan and others and a whole wealth of academia has done in this particular period about things like hygiene and sanitation and general health and well-being. And, you know, it's not like this is a mysterious land that nobody really knows about that we can all just make these wild assumptions about. And I think she was repeating a lot of really popular tropes about, you know, history and pastimes, which were you know, lots of air quotes here. Yes. Lots of air quotes, pop culture, history. pop culture, history, which, you know, of course is designed to make us as modern people feel better about ourselves right. and, and how go, Ew. We are. Yeah. and that's just ridiculous because there's not a huge leap in technology in, in, in even like our bodies, our minds, our brain structures, anything like that from like 300 years ago to now. Also, the fact that <laughs> human beings are still alive. I yeah. mean, hello, cholera, all those other yeah. diseases you would get from if you had feces that, you know, sitting in the hallway that you're walking yeah. through and touching and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So um, I think, so personally, just being such a fan of the show, I'm sad that Terry felt 
such that it was also negative. I mean, I want to talk more about some of the specific things, and I think that we should. She had a follow-up post recently where she kind of talked about all the work that they put into the costumes and how that's her job and that should be the focus. And I just want to say that I a thousand percent agree, and I think that she did an immense amount of work and a fabulous job and that that is great and unfortunately i think it's almost like it's kind of a hot button issue for those of us who are history nerds because while i love the statement the past is a different country there's also Mm -hmm. this sort of sense and i think it's maybe particular to the u.s where we're very um progress oriented and future oriented but that the past is old and gross and disgusting and that we have nothing in common with these people and again we're not talking about Cro-Magnons we're not talking about monkeys and even monkeys probably don't shit where they sleep you know um so I just think that it was a particular hot button issue versus you know if it had been something a little more innocuous like oh they ate with their hands or I don't know something that we could have been like oh no they didn't and whatever but the idea of people walking along and just bleeding on themselves and then men being all oh that woman smells of menstrual blood I shall mount her she is fertile you know just it's just such a red flag to those of us who are history nerds and even I mean and I think calling ourselves history nerds in a way is actually kind of downplaying the fact that this is like serious academia i mean we're not you know kendra is is a published historian (laughs) she's downplaying her own credentials and i like to think of myself as somebody who's who's you know gonna get there someday who might actually publish something once i finish she will yeah but you know because <laughs> i'm gonna make her because we all want to read about the chemise dress yes um uh, yeah and that, i do yeah. research for a living yeah and, on all kinds of topics and and not know, academic but that's but, interesting but because i do research i mean yeah. i know yes. i know, you know how to judge sources that that's something that so, is my li- livelihood depends so upon. i have a question for so. you as somebody who does research more for the web i mean you yeah. she worked tristan worked at yahoo for years so she's been in journalism all that sort of so, so would you consider a BuzzFeed list a Fuck credible no. source? Would Fucking you consider no. a forum posting a credible God, source? No. no. So, that's nut jobs. And so that's, no. I that's think that the, that's the problem. I mean, is even with, Wikipedia is better because at least on Wikipedia, you've got, you got the resources, you've got the links below that and you can check those out and then you can go to those and see what they are. Yeah. BuzzFeed doesn't cite jack shit. It's like reading one of those you know? books that they put, you know, on the back of the toilet that's like the little... You know the you know the funny shit. disgusting facts about the 18th century. Exactly that you're yeah. supposed yeah. to read while you're taking a crap and entertain yeah. yourself. Exactly. And, and nobody and nobody thinks that shit's factual. It's, yeah. it's like a list in Cosmo or something. You know, yeah. ten thi- ten things to do while you're taking a dump and <laughs> in the hallway in at the first hallway. Hallway. Yeah. Yes. But and I and I want to go back to just why this bothered me to begin with because it wasn't that you know oh my god she's doing horrible things in a tv show that that's not i mean you hadn't even seen the show show at all so you know i knew nothing about it except that as i said to begin with ooh, something romantic about scotland cool i I won't watch that at some point because i don't have stars so i'll wait till it gets on netflix woo but seeing the people's comments on her initial blog post that were Ew, I'm so glad we don't live then now. And oh, it's so much easier now. That makes me sad. Yeah. That makes me really sad that people have that kind of reaction about the past and about history. And they have that reaction because they're being fed inaccuracies and gross, not just, no pun intended, but just gross generalizations about what is just not true in a lot of times. 
And and I, that kind of I feel like that kind of turns people off of history. It does. It makes that's the sort of thing that feeds into this mentality that makes you have to fight modernize or fight to not modernize and to fight and to not do it. That's why you can't put a historical movie on on the big screen with actual historical costumes because people will go ew the past is icky it's gross oh i don't want to see that i want to see people in jeans and t-shirts right because Because the past is icky and because it just makes it so unrelatable and so foreign and again like i said i love that quote about the past being a foreign country but i feel like you need to be careful because there are parts of the past that are so intimate and so connectable and so when you can find those moments where you're like wow whether or not they have a different opinion or different outlook on this particular thing like to be able to crawl inside that mind and understand a little bit about that world is fascinating if we good tv shows movies books can be that passport to the past yes that country that is the past it can be the passport and the thing is you know another cliche you know, we, if we don't know the past, we're doomed to repeat it. Sure. And and it's not just, you know, the big the battles and the, the politics and stuff, but there's a lot of things that were in the past that we need to know about that are relevant to us today. Right. Like, uh, I yeah. always argue, and I'm sorry to I mean, just knowing fashion really, for that matter, sure. because like, fashion's cyclical. But the thing <laughs> is, is it's all related. For example, I would argue that you cannot discuss modern you well you can't understand modern racism without understanding where it came from totally and there are so many different pieces not just slavery and civil wars and things like that but also ideas the enlightenment and exploration and all those kinds of things that explain you can't i mean i'm sure there are people maybe hitler was just born evil but most people are products of their time and place and so understanding where that comes and so Mm -hmm. i feel like this sort of this knee-jerk reaction of the past is old and weird and you'll never understand it blocks you from being able to look back to those things and again see where things that are really important today where did they come from why are they that way let's unpack that so we can start to deal with it and bringing it back to outlander knowing why and how this woman from the 20th century at least from the modern era um is going back into a different time period and how women were and were expected to be in this different time period knowing if if not just treating that as ooh, it was all so different weird then but knowing that you know I, okay so far i've seen very few female characters in it but those two 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 episodes and i don't know the series and whatever but knowing what a woman's role was in the 18th century and knowing that you know not that women you know bled all over the place and were you know that's how they attracted men i mean but knowing some real history about the 18th century what their roles were what the expectations were and why and how she is very different from that mm-hmm. might actually deepen your understanding and appreciation of the story and of where you are in the world right now sure and, and, and yeah and, and how far we've come and well, how far we have to go well i want to say something i want to <laughs> jump in here these two dominate the conversation yeah. all the time i think i also want to go back to what was actually posted in terms of just the generalities and i know when i wrote the post um that got over what 40 some odd comments a couple, not many, on uh, frockflix.com. A couple, not many, were uh, were critical, or actually, I should say, outright hostile <laughs> about my interpretation of Terry's post, um, the dressing, uh, dealing with the dressing scene. Um, but I will say the one thing that I 
I felt from the very beginning with the the error where where Terry kind of took a, a major left turn was presenting these facts as generalizations. At well, I should say presenting them as facts. Number one, yes, and they were generalizations. And I was accused of being too general and that I should have read more nuance into Terry's post as to, you know, she was talking about Scotland in the 18th century, not Versailles, except for she actually did at no point to, you know, in her initial post, make that distinction. And then in subsequent comments to that actually was trotting out, quote unquote, research about Versailles to back up her claims. <laughs> so that's where I was coming from when I was drawing in all of this information about Versailles as being one of those uh, places where people tend to really focus the, uh, the amount of, of othering, I guess, the, the yeah. historical othering that we do because Versailles was such an exotic place. And so luxurious. Century, and yes. so luxurious. And, and we look back at this time period, if we're just going to look at the 18th century and think that, you know, people are disgusting and never bathed, which is bullshit, and <laughs> never, you know, didn't, didn't do anything other than like take a crap in the corner, which is also bullshit. You know, we'll look at the... I'm just picturing a pile up of crap <laughs> in your living room. I mean, eventually, what? Then you move? No, but they have rushes. And the rushes are swept out. I'm but, sorry. And that's, you know, this is all stuff that we know was not... I mean, maybe if you were, like, dirt poor, you... Even so you'd go shit outside. <laughs> or in the chamber you, pot, and then you'd hook you it outside. The woods and well, the nobody, you don't hey. shit where you sleep. No. I mean, and that's that's a saying for a goddamn reason. For a goddamn reason. reason. <laughs> don't shit where they sleep. Yeah. They don't. And so the one thing that I was going to go with as far as tying in the Versailles aspect of this, because it did come up on the blog posts um, as evidence for and against shitting in the corner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Give us a moment to be broken. <laughs> I don't even know if I can finish my train of thought now. <laughs> but, but Versailles is the locus. <laughs> Versailles, I'm trying to be a we need, an, we need an icon that's just shitting in the corner. Shitting in the corner. The, 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 that was the whole sentence, actually. Was, I can't even remember it now. What's, All right. Let her go on. So Versailles is the locus. The, the, the focal point of what we consider the apex of the 18th century. Where they shat in the corner, apparently. There was this whole discussion... <laughs> On Twitter. It was tandem yes. to the blog post. It was Terry's Twitter, where it all came out about this research that she was doing on leather umbrellas that women used at... No, people. People. Oh, my God. No, she said women. I think she okay. said women carried okay. leather umbrellas at Versailles because it was to protect them from all the... The poo. The urine and feces raining down upon right. them all the With time. The, and, and the poo. Yes, it's raining, raining poo. chamber pots or it could just be that Marie Antoinette hiked her skirts up stuck her ass out the window and took a crap (laughs) what okay we've all been to Versailles were there big brown stains I mean (laughs) I don't remember I have pictures I can go back on Flickr and look but you know you'd think from you know two three hundred years of poo I mean, Kendra you know, was mentioning that, you know, when she was at last at Versailles, that the tour guide was mentioning the same bullshit yes. story I, about and I remember, just, So when I, I don't I drowned think, out the tour guides. So. Well, so I wasn't on a tour. I just oh. was overhearing one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that these tour guides are necessarily 
hired by Versailles. I think that they may be independent people. I don't know. There, there's two but types. But in yeah. the giant crush of people, I overheard yeah. somebody say, so where did they go to the bathroom? And the tour guide said, oh, they went out in the garden. Right, because at 3 a.m. when Marie Antoinette had food poisoning, she went out into the garden in full view of everyone and just squirted everywhere. Also, if you've actually been there... Um, it's a pretty long walk. Yeah, that's true. It'd be hard to hold <laughs> from, it when you really got to go. From the actual... Well, that's why they did it in the corner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the actual grassy area of the gardens. I mean, there's a lot of statuary that's and true. paved areas. Yes. To get to actual places where you'd want to shit. I mean, I don't want to just shit on the pavement. I mean, okay, I don't want to shit in the corner either, so I guess I'm just me. I'm, I'm not... I don't have that 18th century mindset. Well, I, I do think that, you know, what we're going to talk about is... Is how they actually did crap at Versailles. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. So, yes. so we, we've talked about the history and we and can the extrapolate. We talked mean, about Outlander. Now well, we're going to talk about shitting. Well, here's at, here's my here's my segue into shitting at Versailles, <laughs> which is Versailles was a microcosm. It was everyone from the king to the fishwives yes. were there. This was not just the king and his court. This was all layers of society basically under one giant fucking roof. Mm-hmm. So Shitting it's roof. not that it's not that you would see you know that the 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 king and the queen would have like these sumptuous privies essentially. They even then, had flush toilets which were invented in the early 18th century mm-hmm. and the, they were very rare. So Louis Queen Elizabeth had one. Okay, Queen Elizabeth had one. All right, but Marie Antoinette had one, you know, Madame de Pompadour had one, but those are the few people. Right, but everyone else, you know, when you go down the the strata of... They had shitters, and they weren't the corner. No, and (laughs) and that's the thing. Like, they had public toilets at Versailles. In fact, there are accounts of the public toilets becoming backed up, and that's when you hear... Somebody reciting an account of the public toilet was backed up, so people were peeing in the garden or peeing so in the corner. The right. it's they, the ex- it was an exception, not the rule. Well, and people are commenting on it because yeah. it's unusual. Yeah. And also, people are complaining. So they had latrines that had waste pipes that went to a cesspool. This is not the same as our modern plumbing, but it's the same idea of taking the shit and removing it somewhere else. They still stunk. People wanted to get moved farther away from them, blah, 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 but they had them. But also, I want to say how. How many castles have you guys ever toured in your life? And how many times is there the latrine that's built over mm-hmm. the river, the pond, oh, the yeah. whatever, yeah. and it's this little built out, yeah. you know, seat with a hole in it that drops down to... Well, yeah. Kentwell you know, is a really good example yeah. of this. I mean, I've toured Kentwell a number of times. It's in a, England. For those who don't know, it's a 16th century manor house in Suffolk, England. And uh, very good friends of ours do reenactments there. They typically reenact the 16th century, but they've got a, a kind of a, an array of reenactments that they do now from the 19th century to the 20th century to World War II. But their 16th century reenactments are probably some of the most well-known. And um, in the summer of 2005, when I was doing my internship in London, I spent a, quite a good deal of time roaming Kentwell on the weekends um, and one of the one of the things that they had was a, uh, a garter robe which is essentially the the privy um, which is that built out room and it was built out over the moat there's like a moat that goes around and you would do your business and it would drop in there I mean and it, a manor house in 16th century mm-hmm. England had that basic technology mm-hmm. yeah maybe it wasn't you know the the peasants that were just like scrounging to live but, you know, somebody who was not the king and queen and somebody who was not a peasant could afford that. And I'm thinking that's who we're dealing with in Outlander. We're dealing with people with a certain level of wealth. <laughs> and, and can we go back actually to the Outlander yeah. episode where she's dressing. Mm. 
She's got a basin of water right there, and she's washing. So, so that was. I don't actually show you show her washing. Well, they, they, they sh- show the pouring the water, yeah, but and, that's what that's called a sponge bath. Yes, so, that, so let's let's talk about that so assertion. Going back to the the bathing, which yeah. was with another issue on yeah. on, on Terry Dressbox blog about the the, the filthy 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, she already shows them, or not she, but you know, their her production. The filmmakers shows bathing going on, but she has asserted that you know it was filthy. You didn't take baths. You you're. You know, or you, you took one once a year. Yeah, yeah, that's always a, year. a trope. Yeah, yeah and, and that's a trope. And, and that's you know, well, clearly people washed. I mean, it, you, people t- do sponge baths in hospitals all the time right. now. I mean, it's perfectly legit. There were a couple of arguments. People people actually did have some some decent arguments uh, to the, in response to the post that I made on frockflix.com that, um, you know, it was a minimal amount of water was used. It wasn't like, you know, you use this pitcher and a basin. I would argue there is evidence of that from at least the Middle Ages that yeah. we have that show a pitcher and a basin with water that you would do your, your basic sponge bath. You would scrub yeah. with a linen cloth. You would dip it in the water and the water would usually be um, scented with like lavender or thyme right, or, or herbs, something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Herbs. Um, and, you could and it was probably soap. heated. Soaps were yeah. Bathed. Soaps are period. <laughs> soaps are totally period. Soaps date way back. Um, but but the point is that you would usually be scrubbing with something, and <laughs> you wouldn't just be this nasty, filthy creature that yeah. was walking around with all sorts of effluvia and menstrual critter cr- critters everywhere. and creepy crawlies and, and you know yeah. Anyone who's God, I mean, we're living here in California with a drought. I mean, don't you have you heard of a Navy shower where you turn the yeah, shower on and you yeah. get wet, and then you turn the shower off and you soap up and you turn the shower on? You're well, using very, you know, the argument you're that, using very little water and you're just using a lot of the so, soap and the friction so to get for the, clean. So, so for the haters that are probably listening to this podcast, waiting to like jump on anything, I want to say that you know the the the. The argument that water was unhealthy was definitely an argument that existed in the 18th century. But there was also the opposite argument that water was not unhealthy and that actually aspects of bathing and hygiene, especially in the 18th century, were becoming understood and better, you know, better understood and how that related to overall health. Well, there was also the thing about clean linens being healthy. Oh, Remember yes. right. Susan North? Um, right. Right. North, North? Yeah, Susan North. Susan North. Uh, um, gave a great at the curator at the VNA. We yeah. gave a great lecture at a at Colonial Williamsburg conference we the three of us went to, talking about linens going from the 16th century through the 18th century, about how clean linen was a sign of health. And through all and gentility, class, and gentility. And, and, but even the lower classes sure. aspired having clean linen. Yeah. And the only way you can wear clean linen on your body is if your body is clean. And if any of you... Uh, well, I mean, the grungier you get, the grungier your linen gets around your neck and your wrist. The point especially. being that you would take the linen layer off and you would wash the linen layer and then right, that but, would clean you. But the but if you're still grungy, it's mm-hmm. going to get grungy. I, I, well, me. face and hands. I know yeah, we've so all you, we have all we've, done reenactments. We've all done reenactments, so we've lived in this. But so I want to say, I, but I'm just pointing this out for people who. I, I will. I will caution people listening to this though that we are actually fully coming at it from a 21st century perspective of what clean is sure so that's different than what an 18th century perspective of clean is but there has been a you know since the middle ages and and you've got like the good man of paris the these tracks that are being written on how to live a healthy good life um from like the 15th 16th centuries um and, and maybe even a little bit earlier the 
the implication was always written out. It was always described very clearly. You washed your hands and your face. Yeah. That was Those were the two things that you kept clean, your yeah. hands and your face. And, you know, maybe we weren't, like, taking full immersion baths back in the 17th and 18th centuries, but we were definitely trying to keep some modicum of cleanliness going. And I really would argue that, you know, there was there was enough evidence that we know uh, that exists that that you know people did bathe not in big bathtubs like we no. think of it not showers and things like that but they did try to keep clean you know yeah. cleanliness was a huge obsession for especially the Puritans Jesus you know yeah. <laughs> well, it had religious connotations yeah, all did. that kind of stuff it did. so I wanted to bring it back around to the menstruation thing because that's something I've been interested in um, and I was looking up um, an interesting article in a book called menstruation and the female body in early modern England and it has an essay in it about dealing with menstrual flow in practice and in religious doctrine and it talked a lot about how women wore clouts which were pads made of linen generally linen sort of layered um, on top of the, itself that would be attached um, somehow to your the usually waist a belt. usually with a belt yeah. or something like that like the hello are you there god it's me Margaret yeah. uh, our mothers know, would wear the oldie timey pads oh, right. yeah. it was a long time yeah. ago but it was interesting so it talked <laughs> it a lot about that and then it offered some evidence the author claimed for um, women not wearing pads and just bleeding on themselves because there was this murder trial and this woman had blood on her shift and it was argued by the prosecutors that that meant that that was the murder victim's blood and she was pointing out hello it's an inner layer you know therefore it's my own blood and it's from my you know whatever she called it for the term for menstruation of course I don't necessarily think that that's evidence that she wasn't wearing anything because anybody who's ever worn a pad knows you leak, you spill, you have accidents, that sort of thing. And I doubt a clout attached to a belt is going to be the suit. It's, it's not exactly always with wings. So no, according, yes. according to my mother, uh, <laughs> who who was born in 1947, um, and she was she told me when I was, of course, you know, just starting my own, you know, time of the month flowers, my own flowering. She she remarked how good I had it because I had you know pads that had stick them on the back that I could stick to my undies. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and she said you never know. How bad you had, you know, we had it back back when I was growing up, and we didn't have that. And it was those belts that were yeah. the, you know, they had some sort of funky tie thing. And okay. she said that there was, st- you know, she lived in fear every period of like bleeding, you know, because the the belts shifted around so much. She said they would shift up in front oh, when wow. she was walking, and oh. she. <laughs> so there's all sorts of comical associations right. with the in- ineffectualness of these yeah. these menstrual belts that were popular before they stuck adhesive to the back of them in the 70s, and you know, and then she was over. Joined. She was like, "Hallelujah, yeah. the modern." I'm day sure is if we here. have any older po- podcasts, yeah, I mean, I'm can, sure you, you guys can know. share your horror stories. Yeah. But, it was interesting, yeah. also too. We were discussing this on Facebook, and Sharon Bernstein, who is a researcher of 18th century American costume, she wrote the book "Fitting and Proper." Um, she posted on uh, a comment that uh, she always looks. She'd heard this, and so she always looks at shifts when she is doing uh, research in museums, and she's never found a one with uh, residual blood stains on it. And, and you would think that the shift being the closest layer to your body, yeah. it would be the thing that would get blood on. Not if you weren't wearing it. Yeah, and not necessarily the petticoats. And people, of course, talk about, right. well, the petticoats would no, absorb it. Your shift would be the first layer that your bodily fluids Because your shift come comes contact. down to about your knees. Yeah. It's not longer. And every woman knows yeah. blood stains are a pain in the ass to get yeah. out. Especially out of white. And it's all undies were white. Yeah. Even with modern... 
uh, stain removers yeah, I was gonna and stuff. Say, even with OxyClean, it's <laughs> really hard. And they, you know, yeah. they would put the, you know, yeah. use, you know, the sun as a great bleacher, but it's not gonna bleach yeah. out blood stains really. And you know, they have, they have. I, I don't know. There, there are about, shirts, yeah, from, with blood from, stains, from blood, with blood stains from famous battles. There yeah. are people being murdered, from, yeah, murdered stir and stuff. So that, that, that are in museums. Example. So yeah. you'd think there'd be more, you know, blood stained shirts. Yeah, blood stains. Yeah. Um, have we beaten this one to death yet? Oh, I think <laughs> probably. I think relatively. I think I just yeah. want to come back around to it's, um, and I may have already mentioned this that Terry has a recent follow up post that's all about all of the work that they put into doing the costumes and how that should really be the focus. Um, and she talks about weaving cloth and making all these costumes and the multiple copies you've got to make for all the different principles and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not blah, 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 because that's not important, but just to summarize. Anyway, and I just want to say again uh, how hugely impressed I am by the adaptation. I think it's only going to get better. Um, I'm hugely impressed by how historical they tried to keep it. She does mention that there's a lot of pressure on filmmakers to modernize costume. Um, and again, just to say that I think that none of this um, controversy would have come up if we hadn't gone in, into these crazy facts about yieldy timey grossiness. And that the reason that this matters, the reason that those of us, you know, care is because of this whole the past being so weird and gross and icky that we can't possibly understand it when A, we're all lovers of history, but also B, we see history as being so connected to our modern time and that we need to understand where we've come from, where all of these things come from. I mean, if you look at, I mean, this story set in Scotland, the Jacobite Rebellion, and now currently they're talking about voting about Scottish independence and they've established a separate Scottish parliament. I mean, all of this history is incredibly relevant to today. Um, the fact that so few people in Scotland speak Gaelic because it was, you know, outlawed, all those kinds of things. I mean, history is so relevant to today. And so I think it makes us sad when people, when anybody says, ew, gross, oldie timey, we don't understand that that's totally weird. So that's why we care. And I think that it completely does not detract at all, 1% from the amazing work that the filmmakers have done. I also think, you know, you shouldn't talk about things that you really don't know about. That's that's the problem. And, and granted, we all fall into that, uh, you know, and I'm the first to admit I've fallen into that numerous times online and off where, you know, I, I end up talking out of my ass. And I think that I'm making perfect sense. I think that I'm totally, you know, saying the right thing. And it's proven to me you know, either forcefully or reasonably, or sometimes a combination of both, that, you know, I was mistaken. And there's nothing wrong in saying I was mistaken. There's nothing wrong in saying, you know, mea culpa, you know, okay, my bad. It's something that, you know, I, I feel like I've had to swallow a lot of in my academic path because, you know, you get challenged. And that's the thing with academics. We challenge other academics when we do not agree with their assertions. And sometimes people who aren't academics take that as personal attack, which is not what it was. <laughs> so I, I think that that's, that's the problem is that we're talking about an academic crowd who wanted to rush in and correct those, you know, correct those uh, mistaken misconceptions about what the 18th century was like and it being interpreted as an attack on a personal attack or um, an attack on the work on the or an attack on the work or you know that sort of thing when it isn't it's just the hey you had some mistaken ideas here are the here are the facts here are the things that are out there that that disprove those 
And that, it's tough to admit that and it's tough to take that. I get that. But it's also one of those things that, I don't know, maybe I've been toughened up for through academia. Because you get, you get brought down several pegs when your work is wrong. <laughs> so. and, and similarly, as a writer and also an editor, I, you know, I understand, you know, for, for Terry and Ron, I know this, this sounds like this is their labor of love. Yeah. And I get that. But, you know, as a writer, you know, one of the first things they tell you is, you know, kill your babies. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It means someone's going to edit the precious. shit out of you. No, nothing's and precious. you love the, you love your work so desperately. You love what you've written, but you're going to be edited. Mm-hmm. You are always going to be edited and it's going to, it's going to come back to you redlined like crazy. And you just have to understand that that's honestly better for your work. It is. It's it making is better you a better for, It's making you a better person. better writer. <laughs> better writer. Uh, it's making your output mm-hmm. that much better. And I've been on both sides as a writer and as an editor. And it's not saying you're a bad person. It's just, it's, it's honestly, it's going to improve the output. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, you have to accept that that's the way these things go. Mm-hmm. Especially um, when you're putting your information out there, and on if the you're putting internet, your stuff out in which, the world, which I have to say, I mean, I think it's it's such a privilege. Actually, this is one of the first times for me that I've been able to actually have conversations with the costume designer yeah. of a show I'm watching and enjoying. It makes so, me more interested, honestly, in I'm, this show, which because that there's this back and forth, and there's there's more info about it. Yeah, I, and I, so I think it's wonderful, and I really appreciate that Terry is out there blogging and sharing all this stuff with us, and I hope that it doesn't. Again, it shouldn't detract from the work that she's done because I think everybody's really happy with that. So while Sarah and Tristan may, you know, or may not be jumping up and down, um, I will say again, knowing what's coming, but tune in because I think it's going to get really good. (laughs) And really, there will be smut. And there will be drama. There will be shagging. There will be absolutely. There will be shagging. There wasn't enough shagging in the first two. They'll get. I promise. There will be shagging, and there will be adventure and drama and villains and all sorts of things. I need someone to raise their kilt and just go. Standing stone or something. A caber. She needs a caber. I need the kilt to be all waving. All right. So I think we've pretty much done this one every which way till Sunday. Um, have we Rogered it good and I think we have. Okay. Um, any, we usually wrap up with a little bit of uh, historical resources about the mm-hmm. costume of the era or about the, the, re- the movie TV show itself. Um, what you got? I'll just say a couple of things. First off, obviously, Stars has a website, and they've got a few sort of little behind-the-scenes videos that I recommend, and we've been referencing the costume designer's blog. It's terrydresbach.com, so that's T-E-R-R-Y-D-R-E-S-B-A-C-H, and I highly recommend it. She's posting sketches and all sorts of interesting things. When it comes to the historical costuming, um, I wanted to point out an article that came out in the journal Costume a couple of years ago, um, it is from 2008, and the article is called Rediscovering the Erisade by Anita Kui and Hugh Cheap. And this is all about the uh, 18th century women's version of the, the plaid, the kilt, whatever. Um, What's and the volume? It, uh, volume, oh, it's number 42. Anyway, you can go on the journal's website, Costume, um, and uh, you can buy the article for cheap. 
relative, comparatively cheap. I'm not, I, not I, super cheap. I downloaded but anyway. that one, so I, I'll see if I can dig up the link. At some point, it was available for free download. Anyway, but if you're if you're interested in geeking out and reading something academic, that would be a good article to read on 18th century Highland dress. I would like to just kind of deviate from the 18th or from the Highland stuff and talk a bit about. Versailles, uh, because I live there in my brain constantly with my research. But uh, for a really good, um, a really good book uh, that's that's an, actually an academic book, but it's written in a very accessible non-academic style uh, that deals with uh, Versailles and the culture there that was built around it. Uh, it's called *The Age of Comfort*, and I'm suddenly blanking on the author's name. Uh, oh yeah, it's a uh, Joan uh, Joan Dejean 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 D E J E A N, uh, and it's a really great book that has just a wealth of information about the you know the creation of Versailles from the 17th century into the inhabitants by uh, Marie Antoinette, and then actually when it became under the property of Napoleon, um, it kind of ends in the in the early 19th century and uh, talks, of course, a little bit about the. The restoration and the revival of interest in uh, Louis says in general, um, and and how that led to the restoration of Versailles in the 20th century. But it also really gets into the changes in 18th yeah. century French culture yeah. and how there was this increasing focus on comfort and the the creation of the sofa, which was an 18th century thing. Um, yeah, it talks about plumbing. It talks about a lot of things like that. Toilets. Toilets, you know, all those kinds of things. So I think it's a good window into 18th century life. It also talks a lot about the Petit Trianon and the Hameau. So if you're interested in any of like the Marie Antoinette aspects of, you know, that, that portion of Versailles, it's, it's got a lot of great info on it. All right. And I have a ton of links um, for that I will share on our uh, website. Uh, from Hogarth and also from uh, Scottish portraits of the era from uh, 50, uh, 1740s that um, kind of just give an overview of kind of what was worn uh, mostly middling class also a few upper class um, Scots um, you'll see that they're pretty similar to the English of the era although you'll also see that um, you'll see where the tartan shows up and I have a great book on the history of the tartan that's by, I believe it's the National Galleries of Scotland, and I, I'm sure it has an author that I don't know, but um, <laughs> it'll be on the website, and I will uh, we'll put all of these resources on the website. That is frockflix.com. You can also find us on Facebook, and Twitter, and Instagram. Pinterest, and Instagram. Instagram and, I know, I went all out with social media like crazy. And, you so. know, Frockflix world domination, here we go. <laughs> so... Um, we will be back. We have a regular podcasting schedule every six weeks or so. Um, so, you know, tune in. And and if you have suggestions for future movies, we should podcast. Let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's there's a place on the website. You can always email us individually, frockflix at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website. You can leave a comment with a suggestion. We have a list of movies that... Uh, that we probably will not get to every single one of the 300 that I have listed on the website. But, but we'll we can try. We can yes, try. And if for right. some reason one of those does not cover a film that you want us to do, please leave a comment. Uh, also, um, uh, I forget what I was going to say. But uh, yeah, visit us at frockflix.com. Oh, yes, that's right. We have a schedule with the... Uh, the podcasting for every six weeks, but we are really attempting to put up consistent content on the website. Yeah, so on visit, a, visit our blog more often yeah, than that. Yes. Yeah, so right. our blog is going to have a lot of a lot more content yeah, going weekly. up on a regular basis. If yes. not more. If often. not more. All right. So we're good. We're out of here.
Outlander, out. And I don't know how to say bye in Gaelic. Uh, don't either. But damn, we're too bad. <laughs> All right, cheers. Say cheers. something in Gaelic. Tristan can say something. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No. All right. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of here, you people. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.